0: Hi, this is Claire McAllen, and you are listening to Letters from the Least, a podcast presented through the Grexley Podcasting Network about poetry and faith and the intersection of adventure and virtue. Today's title is On Having a Dream. Love your dreams, work hard, stay focused. A lot can change in a year. I know this, but even if it doesn't, don't let that break it down. Your goals and your dreams is where the magic's found. Failure's something that we all must accept. Cause the only thing worse than death is regret. You dig So I want to start by introducing myself a little bit, let you the listener know about me. Uh my name's Claire McCallan. I am 26 years old, and I just moved here to Boston. Previously, I was living in Brooklyn for the last couple of years, where I started my career as a spoken word poet, frequenting the poetry cafes of New York City, namely New Eureka and Bowery. And then about a year ago, I went full time on my poetry. I quit my ministry job and decided that I was going to make a living off my art. And that lasted maybe (laughs) about three months before I couldn't really pay my rent anymore. So I moved out of New York City and yeah cut the expenses a little bit, and all of a sudden, the art was a little bit less stressful. Uh, I've had two North American poetry tours, uh, taking me to universities and churches and community centers around the country uh, and Canada, and I've gotten to meet so many wonderful people within the church, and I really feel like I get to know my church through this, Uh, and I go and I present my poems on the topics so far of loneliness and of kind of a modern American leprosy where we don't come in contact with each other for fear of uh, each other's poverty being contagious, whether it's a physical poverty or emotional poverty. Uh, So those have been the two topics of my tours. I was a recent resident at the Grunewald Guild, an artist center in Leavenworth, Washington. And now you get to hear me here on your podcast. So like I said, uh, we're going to start off today with the topic of having a dream. And this first poem is written for my first year in New York City. I was sitting at the edge of the East River, really, really frustrated that God wasn't granting all of my desires and my dreams uh, within the first, like, 11 months of me being a New Yorker. So, poem one. Foolishly, I keep expecting that if I work hard enough and pray hard enough, my dreams will materialize immediately. But daily, I have to remind myself that my God isn't a magician. He's a carpenter. He's building something within me and around me. Some days I'm his project and some days I'm his tool. Most days, I'm bull. Sometimes I get upset that God isn't moving on my schedule, but then I'm reminded that he's moving mountains with me and around me. And mountains move slow. So while I wait, all I can really do is pray, work, and try to be more patient than the devil. It's up to me and I say that my dreams will outweigh the devil's schemes. Because you see, my dreams have all day, in fact, my dreams have the rest of my life. God is pulling for me like he pulls the ocean, steadily, consistently, and with purpose. So that's our first poem today. I'm sure whoever you are listening to this, you can relate to this uh, within your own life of wanting immediate results, whatever you're doing. If you're pursuing an art form, a career, a fitness goal, a relationship, it never comes as fast as we want. And I have this favorite part of Shauna Niequist's book, Cold Tangerines, where she talks about the big moment and how we all anticipate this big moment. Because we've seen it in the movies, whether it's winning the big game or the crazy proposal, all of these these things that we anticipate, like life's going to change in one big moment. That's not really what it is. It's lots of little moments of hard choices, the right choices and hard work building towards these greater goals. And we lose sight of it. We're up too close. We can't see the bigger picture. Uh, But God is moving us in the right directions of our dreams. It's just never as fast as we want but I think it's better that way. I think if we got it that easily, we wouldn't want it at all. Okay, second poem. Life didn't break me. Hell, it bent me. Hell bent me over his crackling knee. He tried to crack me, but heaven sent. Heaven sent a hand down to me. Demons pulled at my braids while angels complimented my shoes. Torn between temptation and salvation, I didn't know what to do. So I high-fived the high on as Beelzebub resigned to saying his own name in the mirror three times cause heaven had me too busy putting his names in these rhymes. I am no longer hell bent. I am the receiver of whom heaven has sent. I am with, I am. We are with, heaven sent. Yeah, Uh, I wrote that one actually at the beginning of COVID. I was just really having a hard time with some spiritual warfare. Uh, For me, the devil always attacks me through self doubt and anxiety. It's just, it's so clearly him. I think a lot of times we have these emotional and mental battles that we don't recognize as being, you know, a little two sided. There's also a spiritual aspect to it. And for me, writing this poem was a form of catharsis as I had to say the devil's name out loud and say who it was who was torturing me with this self-doubt and these senses of uncertainty. Uh, So a lot of times I find myself writing about the devil a little bit more than I would like, but it does help me to say his name and say his name out loud in the light around people who I love and trust because he just shrivels and shrinks and, you know, vanishes into a puff of smoke when you say his name in the light. Can't handle that. So writing that poem and saying it out loud helps me remember that and helps me Kind of banish him right out of my life by bringing him into the light. This third poem was written on a bus leaving New Jersey between a couple of my shows. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about a minute ago about you're always waiting for these big moments and you think it's all going to happen to you as if you were on American Idol, that one day you're just going to wake up and it's going to be the best day of your life and all your dreams are going to come true. Uh, when in reality, what happens is you work hard and you fail and you fail and you fail all the while getting better and getting closer to those successes uh and you work and you fail and you work and you fail and every once in a while there's a small success and all the while you're moving closer to the top of that mountain you wanted but it's not a it's not a hot air balloon ride to the top of the mountain it's a long laborious project uh and it's not always what you think it'll be when you get to the top of that mountain so that is what this third poem is about And it has been my greatest shock that the realization of my dreams has been no shock at all. A more logical person might have seen this coming. They might have guessed that after a lifetime of singing, and if our God is with us, then who can stand against us? Well, they might have guessed that sooner or later, I'd learn to believe it. But I, in all my charming inability to understand cause and effect, was caught off guard by how predictable God's glory would be in my own life. And today, on the greatest day of my trek to Zion thus far, I smiled at the view in contentment instead of awe. I've been dreaming about the day I'd summit this ridge for years, coloring my fantasies with leftover bits of dyed wax from more experienced climbers' portraits of what a day atop the mountaintop looks like. And with their Crayola clues, I formed a plan. I wouldn't have my breath taken away like everyone else did. No, I would offer my breath as sacrifice with intention before the mounted could even ask. I would offer her all the wind inside of me. With this in mind, I started pocketing spare gasps and giggles the moment I heard I'd been chosen for the journey. But today, sitting atop a pile of rocks and kept promises, my breath stayed quietly tucked in my lungs. Because despite its wild beauty, I wasn't surprised by the view at all. Looking over the rivers and valleys that had been crossed, I pressed the hand against the fullness pushing at my seams. Shamelessly, I let my belt and grin out a few notches each. My epiphanies usually come in giggles or tears, but this one came as a gloriously unladylike burp. I had always imagined that I'd celebrate this view with a gasp of awe, not an exclamation of digestion, but apparently somewhere along the journey My sense of wonder had swallowed itself whole and belched out a belly's worth of trust. I wasn't shocked by the view. I was convicted by the view. God was doing just what he said he'd do, what's more natural or obvious than his commitment to his committed. The view is exactly what he said it would be. He is exactly who he said he would be. So yeah, I, end scene. I wrote that poem when I kind of realized that all of these harebrained schemes and dreams and at that point, a couple of years of work were really, it was working and that God was granting these goals and dreams and his promises that he had given. Uh, But I think like so many people, I had expected it to be this American Idol moment where I was going to be surprised when it all came true. But how could I be surprised when, It had always been what he had promised. So while it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, it was actually so much better. And then our fourth poem, On Having a Dream, is a little bit of advice from me to you, uh, especially if you are a writer, an aspiring writer, a poet. Uh, Someone who likes to write in their journal and secretly knows that they're pretty good but hasn't shared it with anyone yet, I would encourage you to share it. And I would also encourage you with this bit of advice, my fourth poem. People often ask me how to become a poet, and the best advice I can offer is this. Don't kill bugs. When you feel something creepy, crawly, creepy crawling up your overalls, open its slimy little pinchers just to pinch you right in the wherewithal, ignore it, or help the little guy back onto the ground where he belongs. As you place him on a leaf or a petal, laugh about how lost you both are, and admit envy at how easily he can be placed back in his garden. And then admit how easily you could be placed back in your garden too. don't kill bugs. Become comfortable with the uncomfortable, not just in your proximity, but in the very air you breathe, not just in the air you breathe, but on your tongue Let that dirty cockroach wreathe and slither. And when you feel your skin pale and wither, pick him up and let him go. Don't kill bugs. This part's a little harsh, but it's true. If you are comfortable killing something smaller than you, you will never be a poet. Maybe you can talk real fast and maybe you'll get good at rhyming, but if you can't box to the beat of God's timing, then the metronome you call home will always snag and your stories always drag. Don't kill bugs. Even if they're poisonous, appreciate that something a thousandth of your size could end you a thousand times. Respect the power of the minuscule. And I promise that all the iotas that make poetry poetry will respect you, too. Don't kill bugs. Because you probably started squashing ants after a parent did it in front of you as a child. But they did it first is a terrible reason to squash something mild. And Being a good follower will make you a terrible poet. Don't kill, but do you get it? Do you got it? Do you need it? Do you want it? Do you honest to God want to be the type of person who destroys more than they create? I mean honest to God, what is your proliferation rate? Poet, I want you to be in the practice of being gentle, even when it doesn't matter. so when it does matter, you'll have a predisposition towards peace you can follow after. I want mercy to be your muscle memory. Because there's too many of us that only write when we're angry. And that is the last poem for today. And maybe I'll linger on that one a little bit because I find it especially timely, uh, which is funny because it was not re- written recently. Uh, I think that one, I don't, <laughs> that's one of those ones, it comes across a little deeper as, than it is. I just truly, like, I don't kill bugs. I don't think other people should. I meant what I said in all of it, and I, I hope it has a larger meaning, but if nothing else, I just don't know that we should be incorporating squashing living things in our day to day life. Uh, but especially right now, with everything going on in the world, just having this radical gentleness about us, I think can form us into incredible leaders, incredible church members, and really, really incredible poets and writers and artists who lead with just a radical sense of gentleness. I think it's really important in what we write and in what we share and the art that we put into the world, because we do have to be cognizant of the consequences of that which we create and put out into the world. We are responsible for the effect that our art has on other people. Uh, So yeah, don't kill bugs. That is my final piece on that. And I will close by answering a question sent in to me from a reader. So yeah, to finish, I want to read a really, really wonderful email I received and read my answer to you, all on the topic of having a dream. It's very specifically for those of you whose dream might be writing, or poetry, or art, but I hope the advice can go even further than that. So this is the email I received. Hey Claire, I don't know if you'll see this, but I wanted to ask you something. It's beautiful how you've really gotten to make poetry THE thing you do in your life. I can't tell you how inspiring that is to me as a poet just starting out who loves writing poetry more than almost anything. Do you have any advice for those of us who want to make poetry our life? Life so often gets in the way, but in the end, besides fulfilling God's will for me and getting to heaven, the only thing I really want to do is write poetry. So I know this is kind of vague, but how do you do it? And how should those of us who want to make it a central focus of our lives go about it? Thanks and God bless. Uh, I'll keep it anonymous because I didn't ask the person if it was okay for me to use their name, but if you're listening to this, which I hope you are, I think you're wonderful and I think you've got a great career ahead of you. Uh, And this is my response to that individual's question. Thank you so much for your kind words and thoughtful questions. I hope my answers can help you on your journey. With poetry, like most things, the hardest part is starting. I think the barriers to entry that manifest as a fear of rejection and judgment are often actually gifts from God. If you didn't have to pay a pound of flesh for your dream, then you'd never understand how much your dream is really worth. We all have to learn this for ourselves, but I'll just tell you anyway. The exact price of your dream is your bride. That is to say, it's going to cost a lot. That is to say, it's going to be completely worth it. And of course, there will be smaller but similarly painful tolls you'll have to pay along the way. If you want to become a poet, the first thing to go will be your wallet. You can expect to have to make excuses as to why you can't join your friends for drinks or dinners. Don't worry though, it'll just give you more time to write. Another unfortunate consequence of pursuing your vocation is spiritual warfare. Don't be surprised when anxiety and self-doubt knock on your door. The devil will be playing every mind game in his book to undermine your courage and conviction. He does this because he knows how devastating your success will be to his plans. So try to see his foils as encouragement. When it's particularly bad, Call someone who you trust and deconstruct the devil out loud. Truth is your sunbeam and reason is your magnifying glass. Put him underneath it and he'll burn and shrivel like the bug he is. The hardest bit of advice I have to give you is to expect rejection. Stacks of rejection. Piles of rejection. Mountains of rejection. The good news is you'll be rejected so many times that you'll lose count. Failure will lose its sting. You'll see a lot of people who are less talented or less hardworking than you get the opportunities that you would have killed for. And you'll be tempted to become bitter. But like I said earlier, if you have to kill something, kill your pride. Trust that God gave the opportunity to the person who it belonged to and that it simply wasn't you this time. What's meant for you will not pass you by, my friend. If you want to be excellent in your literary life, be excellent in all other odd bits and bobs of your life, too. You're not going to exhibit heroic discipline in your writing if you're not exhibiting it in your habits towards your health, social life, and spiritual life, too. Finally, I'll say this. You can be the best writer in the world, but if you have nothing to write about, then you'll just have nothing to write about. Live a life that makes you laugh and cry and gasp out loud daily. Ask the girl out. Don't bring an umbrella. Hang out with the nice kids, not the cool kids. Do it all now while the stakes are low and the table's hot. The older you get, the more easily you bruise. So make the mistakes early. As I read through this letter from my inevitable mistakes, another rejection email landed in my inbox. So thank you, friend, for reminding me of my values right when I needed them the most. I wonder which of us I was writing this advice for in the first place. You're going to do so well. Claire. P.S. Forgive the people who mock or discourage you. They have forgotten what it is to be young and in love with possibility. So that was the letter I received and the response that I had the opportunity to write. That was just one of the most enjoyable writing assignments I've had in a while uh, because I sent out so many of those emails, like that reader did asking someone, what's your advice, what's your advice? And the really tough thing, especially with something as niche as poetry is like the only advice is go dive right into the pool, head first, you might hit concrete. You definitely will hit concrete. There's gonna be the failures and the embarrassments. If you wanna do spoken word poetry, just accept the fact that like when you get up there somewhere within your first three months, like you will forget all the words, you will mess up in front of everyone you're going to be so much better for it because you're going to learn to laugh at yourself. And also you're never going to make that mistake again. Cause before you laugh at yourself, you'll probably cry. That's what I did. The first time I forgot my words on stage, I, afterwards I played it up in front of my friends. I was like, ha ha, happens to everyone. Like you got to forget your words once. And I was like, you know what? I, I actually have to go home early (laughs) and I left the poetry cafe and I cried my whole walk home out of sheer embarrassment, which was crazy because everyone else was so cool about it and so nice about it. I was surrounded by other artists who have also all forgotten their words because we're human (laughs) and I still couldn't get over the shame. I don't think I got on stage again for seriously something horrible, like three more months. I let it deter me in a way that I hope none of you ever do. Uh, but it's it's rough and tumble, putting yourself out there, putting your art out there, saying out loud to your friends and God forbid your parents like, hey, I want to be a poet when I grow up. Uh, sounds insane because it's not really something our culture values. It's not something that, quite frankly, even our church values enough. Uh, we forget that beauty is the door that needs to be opened in order for people to come to goodness and then truth. Uh, but I think we're at the beginning of a new renaissance and I would like to see poets leading the charge. I always say that I hope that in 10 years I'm out of a job because there's so many amazing new, younger, smarter poets that I can't even get any more gigs. (laughs) They've taken over my spot. I hope it happens. Uh, But I would encourage you to chase this dream and chase it knowing how badly it is going to scrape you up. Uh, When I first moved to New York, I had no money. I was working at a at a thrift store uh, right next to Times Square. And when they would have me clean the floors, I would pocket any of the loose change I found on the floor so that I could go to the dollar pizza store at the end of my shift and be able to afford dinner because I couldn't. Uh, otherwise, I mean, I wasn't, this is bad. This is a sin. It's been been confessed. Don't worry. Penance has been paid, but I didn't have the money to pay for my public transportation. So I was always hopping my turnstiles, got caught for that, had to go see a judge in a little office and pay my big fine, which again, I didn't have the money. So my fine just kept getting bigger and bigger. Like the road to your dreams is, it's not going to look like the road to your dreams. Most days, most days you're going to be like, why am I, 10 cents short for pizza and skipping a turnstile and getting caught by an undercover cop. Why am I forgetting the words on stage? Uh, Let's see other low moments. One time I had a show in Texas and I sat down for dramatic effect halfway through a piece. And when I sat down and my backside came in contact with the chair, I was like, man, this chair is cold. And I realized that my pants had split open in the middle of my show on stage. And I only knew because it was a metal chair. And I was like, why am I so cold? And, you know, you have these series of moments where you're like, what am I pursuing? What is the point of this? I don't know if God wants this for me. He seems to be trying to put me off. Uh, Keep a sense of humor about it and know that it is, like I said earlier, the price of your dream is your pride. And a lot of times it's going to be your comfort and that is an absolute steal all things considering do it now while you can it's never too late go and put your art out in the world the world's going to be better for it and you are going to be better for it and i just want to thank you in advance for doing that just always lead with your heart That's 1 cuz if you don't you have nothing baby. Less than 1 so that is going to conclude our first episode if you liked what you heard here i would encourage you to check out more of the podcasts in the grexley podcast network it feels a little bit like the marvel universe uh, the grexley podcast network and if you really like what you heard you can go ahead and do us all a huge favor and support us on patreon and links will be provided all Right. have a god have a good day <laughs> have a god day hey i hope you do have a god day have a god day <laughs> and god bless <laughs>